Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 31 and we're reviewing Jujutsu Kaisen part 2. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned. It's April now, and you know what that means. April Fools! (laughs) Well, that and also the end of winter 2021 anime and the start of spring 2021 anime already. It never ends, does it? (laughs) I don't want it to end. This has been an amazing start to 2021, and I think the lineup for spring 2021 is going to be just as good or pretty close to as good (laughs) we've got my hero we've got tokyo revengers we've got shaman king reboot we've got um the way of the house husband although people are kind of critical of the animation style but we'll see how that goes yeah i think we'll still watch it but i don't know It, it may or may not turn me off um i can kind of be particular sometimes about animation i just want it to look nice like it doesn't have to be the most mind blowing animation i just want it to look good i don't want it to be distracting or pull me out of the immersion yeah but we'll see we'll, we'll give it a shot um i think two year eternity is also coming out which is a i don't know if it's a an original um but i think it's made by the same person who made your name Mm-hmm. it sounds right so that's that's going to be an interesting one um yeah and then i think also on our watch list is probably combatants will be dispatched i don't know anything about it i got like a taste of the um the plot and i was like this could be interesting i'm down to watch it see if it if it grips me and i don't know if you would count this as part of the spring season of anime but we are finally getting the demon slayer movie here in the states oh my god that's right yes (laughs) after like a year's wait of it has it been a year right It, it was supposed to come out last year but because of the the way of the world they just kept pushing it for its worldwide release it came out in japan but everywhere else i think they they delayed it until until now well it feels like it's been a year i'm excited to finally um you know dive in and and talk about that i think tickets go on sale soon for us here in the u.s so um i'll be watching that very closely Mm -hmm. and a couple of other fun updates or rather one fun update from us um we were recently guests on otaku melancholy podcast um, we're really excited about this upcoming episode. So I think when this Jujutsu Kaisen review airs, it'll be April 5th. And the following day, April 6th, um, Otaku Melancholy will release the episode that we were on where we had the honor of watching. The honor. <laughs> the honor of watching and reviewing My Sister, My Writer, which, you know, warning, is a Syscon. <laughs> so if you're not into Syscons, um, you may not want to watch this one, but you should definitely still join the discussion because it is, it's a good one. We had a really good time. Yeah, I don't think there's ever been an anime or a show, now if we can go even more broadly, that's made my skin crawl more <laughs> than My Sister, My Writer. But it was, it was really fun uh discussing this or i guess roasting the show with matt and brad so as courtney said um definitely check it out um when you do have a chance yeah it's um just a little little taste of what the discussion's about we talk the really terrible 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 animation quality um the almost as bad writing and um yeah just how infamous this syscon is this anime is for the train wreck that it became i think it premiered 2018 and Mm -hmm. man it just feels so dated just because of how terrible it all came together (laughs) but it has a pretty good op 
It has a banger OP. That OP is now on our Spotify playlist. Yeah, as much of a bubblegum J-pop like earworm it is, like you, you got hooked. It's just unfortunate that it got attached to this show in particular. <laughs> so yeah, if you're interested in listening to um, our guest spot on Otaku Melancholy Podcast, you can find that episode again April 6th on Spotify, Apple, Google, many other podcast services, or you can head over to their website, otakumelancholy.com, to find all the places that the episode is available, as well as learn more about Matt and Brad and their podcast. And speaking of Otaku Melancholy and Jujutsu Kaisen, watch me bring this all full circle, guys. Mm, it's all coming together. <laughs> so we also recently had Otaku Melancholy, Matt and Brad, um, on our podcast. If you didn't catch that episode, it was episode, as I'm scrolling through here, episode 29 of Strictly Anime, where we talked about um, the 2021 Crunchyroll Anime Awards. Or similar to uh, the My Sister, My Writer episode, we roasted <laughs> the Anime Awards because there were some uh, questionable eyebrow-raising nominations and winners. But funny enough, the Anime of the Year winner was Jujutsu Kaisen. So what a surprise. Here we are talking about the latter half of the show after it already won Anime of the Year for 2020. Hmm. <laughs> Very awkward situation. Um, I would say if you watch or listen to our part one review... Um, if you haven't, definitely go check it out. But I would say that part one of the season was phenomenal. But as I was kind of fearing, I have some hesitations around part two. Not all of it, just a specific arc where to me, it, it just like takes away from Jujutsu Kaisen possibly, um, you know, wiping that category of anime of the year. I think it bumps it down a notch and bumps some other anime up a little bit. Okay, because thank God, uh, I thought I was the only one that was going to have a pretty differing opinion <laughs> from everyone else. But, um, and I think I'm going to attract the the heat of the Jujutsu Kaisen uh, community. But even like watching part two, I don't know if I can get into this show like everyone else has. And like to your point, part one was great. And I did have some hesitations about it. And I feel like I'm always lukewarm about a show in the first half. And then in the second half, as we watch more, things start picking up. So I was kind of expecting the same thing. But it, it just didn't really happen for me. Well, let me clarify for everyone listening. I fucking love Jujutsu Kaisen. <laughs> like, again, if you if you haven't listened to our part one review, um, you should definitely do that. It's episode 24 of Strictly Anime. I just gushed over this, this show. I mean... And I still do. I, I fucking love it. But just because I love it doesn't mean I can ignore a certain arc in the second half that like didn't grip me as hard as it gripped other people. The tournament arc? Yeah, the, the, basically the mini tournament arc. Um, and I'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But that doesn't take away from the fact that I still fucking love this show. Like, I, I just am obsessed with the balance of humor and action and almost like horror or suspense i don't know what you'd call it like the dark elements of the show mm -hmm. um all of the characters are phenomenal the main trio um itadori fushiguro and uh kugisaki it's got to be one of my favorite trios now in anime um it just everything about the show is it just comes together so well and it brings all these unexpected elements together and like just works it just clicks but again i can't ignore certain things so we'll, we'll dive into kind of my my uh polarizing view on the second half of the season and as for me <laughs> again i'm sorry to everyone out there who who loves this show because it it's a great show i think like you said it's the characters and the humor 
that really take the spotlight. But something about it to me just feels very generic. And this second half felt like there was a combination of ideas and tropes I've seen in other anime. And maybe that's why I'm so biased because I have preferences for similar like shonen. But the more I was thinking about it, um, especially like with the tournament arc, which it's decent, it's not exciting enough though. I felt like there wasn't really any like oh shit moment in this show, you know, or like in this half, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree. And first off, don't apologize for your opinion. That's the whole reason we're here. <laughs> we're not going to agree on everything, whether it's you and I not agreeing on an anime or us not agreeing with the general fandom on an anime. But that's the whole point is for us to share our thoughts, our true, unfiltered, honest thoughts about something. And hopefully strike up conversation with other weebs or people mm -hmm. listening. But with that said, um, no, I think you're right. That That's a totally fair assessment that there are some tropey or kind of cliche parts about Jujutsu Kaisen. And honestly, one of the parts I'm least excited about, not saying I don't like it, but I guess if you had to rank them, the part that I'm least excited about would have to be kind of the world building. Like the second mm -hmm. half of the season took a lot of time with like diving into the world of jujutsu sorcery and like all of these nuances with people and their certain skills and like you know even with the tournament arc like they were explaining all this stuff about how the tournament works and how those papers will burn up when certain um certain curses have been killed and you know the fact that like even though shoot which, which twin is the one that with the glasses my uh, maki maki yes are you sure yes <laughs> are I, you positive as i was writing my synopsis i like cross-checked to make sure that it was maki that the one who's part of the tokyo school right yeah yes okay. it's maki so maki obviously can't see curses without using her her um, glasses and using her special jiu-jitsu tools or whatever and so like there was something about like if she defeats a curse if i'm, if I'm remembering this correctly then like something different burns up or whatever i don't know like, like all this world building stuff that i just was less interested in than just the actual characters and their backstories yeah i had a problem with that too and you know, there are segments of certain episodes where a side character like, uh, what's his name? Kento, who is my favorite character in the show so far. Um, they'll put in their little bit of information about like the curse lore, but it just becomes so convoluted and then it gets lost in the rest of the episode that you kind of forget what that information is later on. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a lot. Like it's an info dump. Anytime they give you that, that lore, that jujutsu lore, it, it's just a ton of information all at once like mm -hmm. for example the finale of the season when um itadori and uh, kugisaki are fighting whatever the fuck those things were um she starts talking about how itadori's perfect in the situation because he something about him or his connection with sukuna makes him less susceptible to poisons and then it has like a flashback yeah. to um what's his face the shigaraki lookalike Mahito. Mahito. <laughs> when um, he was uh, attacking Itadori and like pierces him with some shit and he was like fine or whatever. I'm like, I don't even like when was this first talked about and like, why is this a thing? It's, it's yeah. like too much. Like, just let them fight. <laughs> like, I mean, logically, just let them fight. Yeah, logically, it makes sense because I don't think Sukuna would go down that easily. But yeah, again, lore wise, it, this everything just becomes so complicated and convoluted that I think that was another thing that kind of kept me from really enjoying the show as much as everyone else but let's go ahead and dive into what this sorcery is with our synopsis and analysis for Jujutsu Kaisen part two 
So to start off, Jujutsu Kaisen, also known as Sorcery Fight, is the 2020 anime adaptation of a manga series written and illustrated by Gege Akutami and produced by MAPPA. The series follows eccentric high schooler Yuji Itadori as he navigates the world of curses and becomes a vessel to its biggest baddie. Now before I start our episode synopses, there was a New Year's special on Crunchyroll, I believe, with uh, the voice actors for Yuji and Toto. That was basically a recap. Um, I'm not going to go over that because it really wasn't anything special. Yeah, and we hate recap episodes. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's there if you guys want to see the banter between the voice actors. Which, that part was good. The, yeah. the recap stuff I, I could have not sat through. But. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think Toto's voice actor, who is Kimura Subaru, is uh, German-Japanese. Yeah, when he came on screen, I was like, that's not what I expected Toto's voice actor to look like, but he's good. Yeah. So jumping into the first episode for the second part, episode 14, Kyoto Sister School Exchange Event Group Battle Part 0. Discount Shigaraki and the League of Extra Demonary Villains resolve to break into Jujutsu Hogwarts to capture Yu-Gi-Oh! and restore Sukuna to power. Speaking of which, after two, month in, two months in hiding, Yu-Gi-Oh! surprises his classmates and reveals that he is alive and well, but much to their chagrin. He joins them as they prepare for the inevitable anime trope of the tournament arc while their visiting Kyoto counterparts plan to eliminate Yu-Gi-Oh. So let's talk about this episode, but before we move on to the next one, I have to just say something overall about this tournament arc that I was alluding to at the beginning of this podcast episode. So first off with the OP and the ED, um, definitely not as good as the first set. Yeah. I mean, you it's like night and day. They're they're okay. They're they work for the show, but I mean they're they're not the first OP and ED. The first OP and ED were fucking bangers, were so incredibly hype. I mean that ED was unlike anything that we've seen in a long time. Mm -hmm. Um and we've said our piece before. Again, if you go back to our part one review, you'll hear all about it. But this um OP and ED, I don't know. It just didn't hit me as hard. Like the OP overall, um, the song's good. It fits Jujutsu Kaisen. Um, the animation and visuals are stunning as usual. It's just, it's Mappa like flexing on everybody, especially those slow-mo parts. I mean, just clean as fuck animation. Mm -hmm. um, I think there was some rotoscoping in this opening, like a yeah, little bit. Yeah, I think when they featured, or maybe not, I was going to say when they featured Yuji and Toto fighting against the, the deer, per, deer curse or whatever. I thought the rotoscoping was most, again, if it is rotoscoping, I thought it was oh, most we, apparent when your favorite dude, what's his name again? Oh, Kento. Yeah, Kento. What's his other name? Uh, Nanami. Nanami. Yeah. Um, When he has that walk by, he just passes by, but it's very like, I don't know. It, it, to me, it seems rotoscoped. See, that, me, yeah. That particular part like this whole op reminded me of like an old school tekken cinematic opening mm -hmm. um just especially that part with kento just because the way it, that he walks and like the, the camera angle it reminded me of like another tekken cinematic um yeah i would say overall this this op was just okay the song is called huya extended by vivid vice if anyone's interested in adding it to their spotify playlists although i might just keep this one off because, um, yeah, it doesn't compare to Kai Kai Kitan. Oh, no, definitely not. But going back to that rotoscoping piece, this is probably one of the first times where I was slightly into it. Not that I liked it. I, I would I would have preferred it just be Sakuga all the way. But the way they did it still felt okay. Like, I was, I, mm -hmm. I felt 
a little more okay with that rotoscoping than I have with like anything else. Cause, cause again, if you're, if you've listened to the podcast long enough, you know that rotoscoping and CGI are not exactly my favorite things in anime, but this was, I, I don't know. I, I feel like MAPPA is starting to get better and better about blending it into anime. And I use the word blending very intentionally because I don't want to be distracted um, by rotoscoping or CGI, but they're getting better and better at it. And I appreciate that. They're trying to, you know, master that that craft, I think. Yeah, I guess it didn't really bother me with this OP because as with the first OP, it's this whole sequence is just, it's supposed to be a stylized version of these characters. So it's not going to exactly match the animation style of the episode itself but yeah it again this first op- or the second op and ed which we i know we'll discuss in a bit um just didn't hit the same as the first part and one question i wrote here is why is panda always on a roof i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i don't know man they're they're just like they're just throwing him up there <laughs> yeah i mean this time i think he's like in his third whatever he has like different forms and he's like beating his chest but i wrote that here as a note like he's on a roof again um and then there's that random guitarist at the end which i didn't understand why they included that because at up until that point there was no character in the show that played a musical instrument but then we'll learn um later on who this character is the ed um I didn't care much for the song Hard Pass, um, but I thought conceptually it was cool. Because, Cover your ears. Because <laughs> it was uh, Itadori taking a bunch of vertical cell phone footage of his friends. And that's new, right? Like, at least they're trying something different like they did mm-hmm. with the, the previous ED. Um, I will say, and I don't know, maybe I'll get some heat for this, but like Mappa or whoever overall is kind of making me ship Fushiguro and Kugisaki. And I felt this for a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, I know people are going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? But just hear me out. I, I felt this way for a little bit. I'm kind of like, I could see them together, um, especially because the two of them are always together. But something about this ED kind of like amplified that. And I think it's because Itadori is like filming the two of them and they're like talking and I don't know, they just seem like they're like close um so i i don't know maybe that's just me being weird but i'm kind of into it if they are gonna you know be shipped if they're gonna be canon <laughs> but then maybe that's me maybe i'm a i'm a one person um fandom for this ship <laughs> i think as probably with everyone else um they always pair yuji and kugisaki together but i feel i can kind of see that they they butt heads a lot more um so maybe yeah in the future Again, no no manga spoilers, please. Yeah. It'll be Fushiguro. I, I do definitely get like best friend vibes from mm-hmm. Kugisaki and Itadori, especially after that season finale. Um, but I don't know. It's just, it's this like weird little thing, like these little breadcrumbs that I pick up on, which are probably imaginary in my head. I don't know, guys. Okay. Just again, hear me out. Like I see this, I could see it becoming a thing, but also if it doesn't become a thing, you can tell overall in the second half of the season how close Fushiguro and Kugisaki are becoming so either way like I'm happy but if they do get shipped I won't be entirely surprised so anyway I'll, I'll move on from that uh just real quick about the ED um this song is Give It Back by Koshu Ni and that's kind of what I want to tell this singer um in terms of giving me back the time it takes to listen to this song because <laughs> the part where the key changes and her voice um it's higher. It's so shrill that you can't even enjoy the, the stunning visuals of this ED. 
Um, and that's saying something because you're you're very musically inclined. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But yeah, this OP and ED, they're really nothing to write home to. So for this first episode of the second part of the season, once again, the humor is spot on. Itadori is just amazing and absolutely endearing. Um, and I just love how excited he is to reveal that he's still alive to his friends. Although it's been like how long? Like a couple months, right? Uh, two months. So there you go. And the whole thing just kind of comes to a screeching halt when he pops up. And uh, yeah, Kugisaki is not happy about it. <laughs> well, I say they, they kind of had a very muted reaction to realizing that he was still alive. Well, I think because they're Kugisaki anyway was like really pissed because you could see she's trying to hold she she's acting all angry. But then you get that shot where like Fushiguro is looking at her and she's like clearly holding back her tears and getting choked up. But she's you know, she likes to be a little more cold or a little more stone faced. So it's mm. not like her to cry. I mean, when they first saw that Itadori had died um, again, Fushiguro looks at Kugisaki and she's kind of biting her lip to hold back tears because she was like, oh, well, I didn't even really know him that long anyway trying to play it off but then he realizes that she actually did get really upset over his quote-unquote death so i think the same thing here um she's just being you know the the hard ass that she usually is but she actually is very very happy that he's alive makes, and he's back makes sense i do want to say when they introduce um these characters for the kyoto school right mm -hmm. it just makes me appreciate the character designs in this show like I don't know. Something about them are it just makes every single character stand out in a good way without like trying too hard or being making them look too ridiculous. Um, like for example, one one character in the show that sticks out to me as like really unique character design is the volcano dude, the curse who's got the volcano head, and mostly it's just because his teeth are black, and you would just never think mm. to have a character whose teeth are black. And I'm like, that's a really unique design choice, and it works for the character because he's a volcano. And I don't know, like it's just these little things that they they choose to do. Um, like the teacher uh, at the Kyoto school, her name escapes me, but she the one looks like well, what's her name? Like Kikyo. Kikyo <laughs> the one looks yeah. like Kikyo. Uh, Utahime. Like she has a scar across her face, and it's like not over the eye or on the forehead, like every other scar in anime, but it's like right across her cheek, and that's very unusual for um, a female character in anime to have a scar, let alone for it to be in that spot. So again, it's just like these little things that they like to add to these character designs that I really appreciate in the show. And, and again, it helps me to differentiate between all of the, the new characters that we've just been introduced to. Actually, uh, now that I think about it, I think that one, two, three, four, five, six, there's seven characters at least that are introduced from Kyoto. And they each do have like a very unique design um so that they're i guess easily easy to be remembered i think the hardest thing for me was just kind of keeping their name straight um, yeah i'm still struggling with that yeah but just to give them a rundown there's zen in mai who is maki's younger sister todo of course momo who is on the broomstick uh, mekamaru who's the robot kind of guy uh, kamu kamu who's the samurai miwa who's the blue hair simp for gojo and then of course kikyo kikyo <laughs> wait what's her real name uh, Utahime. Okay, she's gonna be Kikyo because I'm not gonna remember that. Um, Just two really quick comments from me. Um, they mentioned that with the tournament arc, um, the winner of last year's tournament determined this year's tournament to be hosted by Tokyo, and that is all thanks to Tokyo's, I guess, student protege Yuta Okotsu, who 
doesn't sound very important right now, but this is a very fleeting reference to someone that we will discuss um, at the end of this episode. Uh, second thing is, did you know this episode makes a JoJo reference? Wait, what? I felt like they did a, a Stardust Crusaders pose at the very end with the Tokyo class. Oh, yeah, yeah, they yeah. All that was step good. <laughs> in. I mean, like, I think Yuji's uh, kind of kneeling on the on the ground, but the rest of them just had that, like, Stardust Crusaders-esque pose. Yeah. Even if it's not a JoJo reference, it's still a JoJo reference. Yeah. <laughs> So um, before we really dive into the next couple of episodes, because this is when we kick things off for that mini tournament arc, um, I do want to go back to what I was saying in the beginning of this podcast episode, that the tournament arc was probably my least favorite part of all of season one um, of Jujutsu Kaisen. And here's why. This tournament arc basically feels like a cheap and quick way to run through all of these b-list characters or i don't know if you call them b-list but these like minor characters or secondary mm-hmm. characters um and their backstories and their abilities i'd much rather get their backstories and abilities kind of peppered throughout the show but have those moments where they're introduced um have meaningful connection to the plot or at least make their stories feel more meaningful rather than like one giant roll call it's difficult to get invested in um, these mini character arcs, these backstories, whatever you want to call them, when this is the first time that we've seen these characters or this is the first time we're being introduced to them and therefore I'm not emotionally invested in them yet. It's like you're trying to tell me like their story is important, but I'm also like I don't even remember their name <laughs> at this point. That's a lot to ask of an audience member. Um, plus, it feels like because they're kind of doing all of these backstories crammed into like single or even sometimes half episodes, it feels like they're giving little to no meaning to, again, their abilities or their backstories. Instead of giving us those pieces during moments in the show where it's related to, you know, what's happening in that arc or what's happening in that episode, um, you know, and enhances those pieces and ties them all to the bigger picture. Um, it more so just felt like they're dropping them in our lap saying like, well, here you go. Here's Mechamaru's story and here's Panda's story. And I'm like, okay, I don't get what's going on. Um, like Mai and Maki have such a cool dynamic. And I think it would have been better suited to have their backstory in a separate arc where they're put to the test and have to work together to succeed because they obviously have very different goals and very different like desires from the world of jujutsu sorcery but instead we're getting them running around a forest fighting for a single episode and then their backstories dropped in in between that i'm like man what a missed opportunity if you think about the way they did fushiguro's backstory in the second to last or third to last episode of um the season it was great it had direct connection to what was actually happening in this arc Um, And everything tied together super nicely. And that's how it's done. That's how you get the audience to feel connected to a character and actually have meaning to their backstory, to their abilities, to, you know, I don't know, them discovering a new piece of themselves or how they're connected to other characters. But yeah, I don't know. This whole tournament arc just felt like a really quick way to like go straight through everyone's backstories um, rather than just introducing them, you know, slowly and kind of getting us used to their abilities. So that's my two cents about why I disliked this tournament arc. Again, it did not take away from the whole show, 
but I just had to get that off my chest. <laughs> Two cents and then some. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Okay, I know. I go into long spiels when I feel very passionate about something. So thank you for lending me your ears for no, a couple yeah, minutes. <laughs> but no, you make you make very good points, and I think this kind of contributes to the like information overload that's kind of coupled with the curse lore. Is like this whole tournament arc takes place over the course of I think three or four episodes. So they they cram everything in, and like you said, they want you to kind of identify with these characters and understand their their motivations and their backstories but it just doesn't flow well and the only thing i can really compare this to in recent memory is of course my heroes tournament arc which i think took place over the course of like an entire season am i right i think it was definitely the first half of season two hopefully that's two or three um but then yeah they like trickled into at least the second half like yeah there were Mm -hmm. i have to agree i was gonna say the same thing like the my hero tournament arc um did this like did this conceptually but better and made Mm -hmm. me feel connected to these characters but at the same time we didn't get everyone's full backstory you know what i mean like we got pieces of it i mean i think the differing part uh with my hero is that with jujutsu kaisen the first half obviously it focuses on the trio my hero i think it it took some time in episodes prior to that tournament arc where it, it kind of delved into certain characters so we had already kind of established relationships with them whereas here it's kind of like a, a data dump yeah no 100 percent. i completely agree but yeah other than that <laughs> this tournament arc i felt like it with each next episode i was just not invested for these very same reasons and i think part of the time i was almost falling asleep (laughs) (laughs) so i don't know i again i don't know why i can't get into the show as much as everyone else is but i digress moving on to episode 15 kyoto sister school exchange event group battle part one the students of kyoto hogwarts execute their plan to ambush yujiyo but we learned that the students of jujutsu hogwarts anticipated their intense focus on yuji and work to split up each group enough to begrudgingly prolong this tournament arc a couple more episodes longer. Yujiyo is paired up against Toto Toto, whom he declares as his best friend after showing himself as a formidable opponent, and offers to mentor, mentor Yujiyo in strengthening his divergent fist attack. I just want to say from the get-go, this episode had very strange pacing, and again, it's just to kind of set up the next couple episodes for who gets the, the character-centric um plots for these tournament arc episodes i was gonna say the exact same thing the pacing was super weird in this episode like things would heat up and then they'd slow down or they'd go from like really lighthearted to like serious and then to funny like mm-hmm. it they they again they, they do a good job of blending all those things in this the show overall but this episode in particular felt all over the place like they were just not hitting the mark with bringing these elements together um but there were some some definite highlights from this episode i love that random cutaway of toto and itadori being best friends in his mind just because of his type in women and the whole time he's like acting in real life as if that actually happened and itadori's like what the fuck is going on (laughs) um i did find it weird though um how at the end of the episode i believe how fast the tokyo group deduced that the kyoto group was trying to kill itadori it's like they put that together uh, solely on the basis that the Kyoto group went toward Itadori as a group. 
I'm like, mm-hmm. well, maybe they find him to be the strongest person, and so they want to take him out first, not because they're trying to literally kill him because he's Tukuna's vessel. Like, they just figure that out with little to no effort, and that's another thing where I was like, man, they're just trying to, like, really rush through things in this tournament arc, but that's all I had to say about this episode. And here's my comparison to some normie pop culture. It's almost <laughs> like um, Yuji. I think I've I said this in our first episode for Jujutsu Kaisen. Yuji is like the Harry Potter of this group. And so that's why everyone's so intensely focused on him. But yeah, they came to that conclusion very, very quickly. Um, but yeah, I think the focal point of this episode, besides all the all the strange pacing that was all over the place is obviously that fight between Yuji and Toto that I guess establishes them as best friends. Although I feel that's more one-sided on Toto's part. Um, but yeah, that, that whole dream sequence um, after he asks what Yuji's type in women is, which as a reminder, I think he says it's Jennifer Lawrence like or tall women with big asses. <laughs> um, it, seeing Toto just enter this dream sequence off that basis was just, was just great. And so this is where like the humor of the show really shines, especially in Toto because he's such a great comic relief character. Toto's awesome. Yeah. In episode 16, Kyoto Sister School Exchange Event Group Battle Part 2. As Toto Toto and Yuji continue their bro- brotherly bond, Panda assists Nobarajuku after Kyoto's Mekamaru knocks her out. And yes, folks, we are getting a panda-centric episode for this one. We learned that this big old bear has three different personalities that he can switch between, which are embodiments of his older brother and sister. He utilizes his roid rage in a rooftop row because Panda really loves roofs for some reason to knock out Mekamaru, whom we learn was born with glass bones and paper skin and uses (laughs) cursed energy to remotely control his mecha puppet's body. Panda concludes the fight with a heart-to-heart as we get a taste of the next character-centric episode, Zenin Maki vs. Miwa the Gojo Simp. The only thing I want to mention in this episode, did you know there's another JoJo reference in this show? Yare, yare. Oh, no. Oro, oro, oro. <laughs> oro, oro, oro <laughs> I wrote down the wrong thing. Yeah, but when Panda says oro, oro, I noticed that too. My ears perked. <laughs> yeah, he goes star platinum on Mekamaru. Toto in this episode, um, I think, really impresses me. Uh, he takes that moment to teach Itadori how to become stronger, even though they're in the middle of a face-off between schools, where this information could definitely put their Kyoto school at a disadvantage. But it shows what Toto's all about, and that's strength and being successful. It also shows that he's not just a meathead. He's intelligent and is actually a skilled fighter. So I thought this was a really great character-building moment for Toto. On the flip side, I'm sorry, but I just don't care enough or know enough about Panda and Mekamaru to want an entire episode dedicated to their fight like it bothered me that they got an entire episode dedicated to it but the fight between Kamo and Fushiguro only had half an episode it was Mm -hmm. like so much shorter like that to me is crazy but whatever we got it and it is what it is and now we know more about Panda and Mekamaru I guess because they kind of share same characteristics um, whereas Panda's not really a human and I guess Mekamaru is less than human but yeah, like this was a good episode, especially watching like Panda go ape shit. No pun intended. <laughs> Even though, wait, wait, ape and Panda are different <laughs> types of animals. Yeah, but he's technically an ape when he oh, changes, yeah, he right? Oh yeah, he has the gorilla core or whatever. Um, but yeah, this was, again, just your typical old tournament arc uh, character-centric episode. And the whole thing with Toto instructing Yuji on using his cursed energy properly, um, it was great. I think it shows that, you know, at the end of the day, they're all playing the same game and like taking out these curses with their 
Jujutsu Sorcery. It's just funny that, you know, Toto takes a page out of like Bruce Lee's book of motivational quotes um, when instructing Yuji. So moving right along to episode 17, Kyosto, sister, school, exchange, event, group, battle, part three. As Maki makes quick work of the blue-haired bimbo, Nobarajuku recovers from her matchup against Mekamaru to disable Momo's delivery service and her broomstick, but once again is KO'd, this time by Maki's sister, Mai oh Mai. Maki steals Miwa's sword and catches up to her younger sister, triggering flashbacks of how she left the Zenin clan and forced Mai to become a Jujutsu sorcerer against her will. Mai oh Mai uses her cursed energy to blow her older sister's brains out, but Maki reacts just in time to stop her. Hashtag sisterly love, am I right? I love that in this episode, Momo's spewing all the shit about like women in jujutsu, blah, 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 blah. And Nobara's like, or sorry, I'm going to switch between Nobara and Kugisaki because I started off calling her Kugisaki, mm-hmm. but I don't know, as time progressed, she's the only one who is, whose name I've switched to her first name. So if I say Nobara or Kugisaki back and forth, I apologize. But um, I'll just stick with Nobara because that's in my notes. Nobara was like, yeah, I don't care about all that men and women stuff. I'm Nobara and I love myself. I'm like, okay, damn Nobara. Like we're starting to get more of her personality. Like she's very straightforward. She's not cold, but just, you know, in your face and doesn't really care. Like she knows who she is. She knows she's fearless. And it's just another reason why I love her character so much. Um, unfortunately we didn't get to see her full skills because it was cut short by Mai. she was knocked out twice (laughs) um but obviously they're they were saving that for uh the season finale but we do get that um again that backstory between Mai and maki i loved the multiple visuals um especially of them in the forest where Mai is in the shadows um and then maki standing in the sunshine like just kind of representing how maki is um excelling in the world of jujutsu sorcery despite her shortcomings in terms of her skills versus Mai, who doesn't even want any of this, but was born with these abilities. So again, this is such a cool backstory between these twin sisters, and I want to hear more of it, but they just like threw it at us and then just went back to the fight in the forest. So I, I'm sure there'll be a, a future episode on it, but um, hopefully we'll we'll see that soon. Yeah, Maki brings a sword to a gunfight and still Literally. wins. <laughs> she still wins. Although it's a deserved win because I wrote down something that Mai said during their fight. He's like, why wouldn't you stay at the bottom with me? It's like, you got to aim a little higher in life, Mai. And I think that's what <laughs> Maki's trying to do here. Um, I mean, it's unfortunate that she kind of put her younger sister in this situation by leaving the family. And I think she still wants to become the head of the Zenin clan despite leaving. But yeah, they have some family issues to kind of sort out. In episode 18, Sage, Miwa pouts over having lost her sword to Maki, but is promptly put to sleep after a prank phone call from Inumaki Zushi. Good thing because this next episode focuses on Fushikushi's battle against Samurai Kamurai and his stand arrow attacks. Also, he seems to have the power of Zawardo. We learn that Samurai Kamurai desires to kill Yujio to elevate his clan ranking, whereas Fushikushi fights for nobler reasons. Their fight is interrupted by a special grade cursed deer creature, and Inumaki Zushi uses his cursed voice power to tell them to NIGERUNDAYO! As a veil descends over the tournament area, Mojo Gojo searches for its creator while Principal Gakuganji faces off against some guy obsessed with coat racks (laughs) by pulling out an electric guitar and absolutely shredding it, bro. So this is the guy who plays the guitar in the OP, and it's unexpected. 
it subverts expectations (laughs) but it's so funny that of all the characters it's this old guy that plays the guitar i kind of didn't like it like i i don't know (laughs) it felt like a weird mashup like again all these characters are very unique and i love all their abilities so far but something about the old man playing guitar just felt kind of cheesy to me i don't know it doesn't click for me but he does seem like a badass we didn't get much of like his skills in this season but at least we know he's actually skilled and that's probably why he's the principal and i know we haven't talked about the previous juju sanpos but i wanted to kind of go into this one a little bit it's focused on the deer creature whose name is hanami and they're all going to like this villain school and she's She's dressed up in like this uh, schoolgirl outfit, and it's supposed to be like a slice of life kind of sample. Wait, is this where the League of Villains is all in like their schoolgirl outfits yeah. and like um the Shigaraki character has like pigtails and stuff? I think so. Uh, but he or uh, Mahito again, the discount Shigaraki, uh, teams up with Hanami to choke Jogo, who's the volcano guy. But yeah, they're all just dressed up like schoolgirls. <laughs> And I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it was like weird, but also like I didn't mind it. Like I was yeah. watching it. I'm like, I don't know what I'm watching right now, but I'm I'm fine, I guess. Yeah. Which is nice about these juju samples. As random as they are, it kind of takes you out of like the seriousness of each episode um, to put this comedic spin on these characters. In episode 19, Black Flash, Antler Eyes holds their own against Fushikushi, Inumaki Zushi, Samurai Kamurai and Maki, who arrives late in the game to assist. Antler Eyes impales Maki and Fushi with roots, which will continue to impale them the more they use their cursed techniques. Thankfully, Yujio and Tototoro arrive in the nick of time to tag team everyone out. As Antler Eyes' intensity increases by utilizing their second tomato arm, Yujio unleashes his special Black Flash technique, followed by Tototoro, whose technique is oh, never mind, gotta wait till the next episode. This episode, to me, was so much better than the whole tournament arc. Um, Like, this is where I felt like we were heading back in the right direction. Like, this felt like we were shifting back to what I love, um, what I feel like is true Jujutsu Kaisen. Um, Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that I wanted this Itadori Toto bromance, but I do. Like, this is the bromance we didn't know we wanted, and it's amazing. And Yuji didn't know he wanted it either. <laughs> I know, and he, he now can't get away from it. But yeah, it's fantastic. I, I love their dynamic so, so much. Um, I will also say that this was the episode where I started to like Fushiguro more and more. Um, not only because he's a skilled fighter, as we've seen in previous episodes, but this establishes that he really does have a good heart and cares deeply for others, despite being, you know, basically a Sunday. Um, and his goal is to protect others and, as he says, you know, cannot fall before them. Otherwise, he fails at that goal. And I think Fushiguro is now becoming my favorite character. Like, for a while, it's been Itadori. And he still is, like, super awesome, super endearing, and um, probably, like, a very close second. But I don't know. After watching this, Fushiguro, I think, has, has now slightly skirted by Itadori, Itadori and hmm. is now my technically number one character in the show very good <laughs> i don't know why but he is I, i'm sure there's not as big of a fandom behind fushiguro but i'm a part of it now i'm still team kento <laughs> <laughs> the only thing i wanted to mention with this episode is why does hanami just stand there watching yuji and toto have a conversation oh my god i was in the same thing i'm like how weird <laughs> is it that these sorcerers keep having full fucking conversations with each other while a curse is just standing there waiting for them to be ready to fight. Yeah. And I think she acknowledges this, or I think the other characters acknowledges too, that she's just standing there. But 
It's like you could use this time to just pulverize them. But of course, this is anime and you got to give them the characters enough time to, to give their spiels before their next plan of attack. Yeah. Yeah. Anime logic. <laughs> In episode 20, non-standard, now we finally get to see Todo Todo's curse technique, Boogie Woogie, which allows him to swap places of people or objects and gives him and Yu-Gi-Oh a tactical advantage in taking down Antler Eyes. But the deer and Hanami lights dares not give up, and as they are on the verge of unleashing their domain expansion, Mojo Gojo breaks the veil and nukes a majority of the area and leaves Antler Eyes' fate ambiguous. But don't let this distract you from the fact that the Cleveland Indians blew a 3-1 lead in the 2016 World Series and Discount Shigaraki has snuck into Jujutsu Hogwarts with not-so-good intentions. This episode felt long, but I would say it was pretty good with wrapping up the tournament arc. I agree. Um, I also love that we get snippets of Toto's backstory. Um, so there's definitely more we're going to see of him. Like, obviously, he's going to play a big part in this um, this show. Uh, but I just thought, this is how you do it, tournament arc. Like, Toto showed us his skills. Like, the focus was his abilities. And we got that um, full force. And it was well done without being an information dump. Like, it was a great way to, to showcase his clapping, teleporting yeah. thing. Um, but we didn't get, like an information overload because it wasn't abilities and backstory. It was abilities, but you get a little bit of backstory, just enough to entice you, just enough to learn about him, mm -hmm. but to entice you to want to see more about him. And then it's imbued again in what they're doing, like right in front of you. Exactly. So this is this is what the tournament arc lacked. Like this is a perfect example of, of what it needed to be to make me care more about these characters. Like I fucking love Toto, especially after this episode 20. Like they did it right this time. He kind of gives some All Might vibes, especially when he gave this. Like, he says, don't stop. Believe in me. Yeah. <laughs> it was very like All Might like, which which was great. Um, and then we see more of Yuji using the black flash technique, which I think was uh, introduced. I don't know if it was introduced in the previous episode, but it was alluded to or like we saw Yuji use it. Um, and we find out that he ties the record for using black flash with kento um which is a total of four consecutive times oh i thought he i thought itadori used it five times he broke his record i could be wrong though um it, he might have i wrote that he ties this record because i think i was counting during the episode okay but. i i'm definitely excited to see hopefully we get to see this um but to see kento like his reaction to finding out that itadori on his first try tied or possibly beat his record like i hope mm -hmm. that's that's embedded somewhere even if it's just a, qu a quick clip yeah i'm sure the salary man in him um or the perfectionist is is screaming <laughs> in episode 21 jujutsu koshian turns out antler eyes survived and discount shigaraki used the chaos with antler eyes to secretly steal the school's six sukuna fingers as well as three special grade cursed wombs in a related flashback, Keito and the League of Extra Demonary Villains plan to unleash more chaos in the Shibuya district on Halloween. How festive of them. Back at Jujutsu Hogwarts, the school staff begins to assess the collateral damage of the tournament and the possible dangers that Yu-Gi-Oh! brings to the table. And what better way to process all these matters than with a good old game of, Oh, that's a baseball! That's it. That's the episode. It was great. 
Like, it was great. Like, this was such a fucking good episode. I even wrote in my notes and highlighted it in yellow. Rewatch this episode. Again, humor is one of the best parts of this show, and we got so much of it here. And we finally got to see more of the main trio hanging out and becoming closer as friends. Like I've said it before, I fucking love their dynamic. Um, and we we kind of had a pause on them hanging out because they thought Itadori was dead. But here we get more of them. Um, yeah, I just I, I can't say enough about this episode. It was it's obviously nothing like Jujutsu Kaisen, but it mm-hmm. just worked so well. And also, nice peach. Nice peach. Nice peach. (laughs) It was just so good. Yeah, this was definitely a nice breather again from all the heavy action from the previous episodes of the tournament arc. And I think this is probably the second best baseball-centric anime episode for me. Um, Obviously, top tier for me is the Samurai Champloo episode. But, oh, I was going to say, what about the, oh, that's a baseball <laughs> part from JoJo? <laughs> I guess that's not technically a whole <laughs> episode centered on baseball. That's true. Um, but the great the great part about this Jujutsu Koshian episode is the weird facts of each student oh as they God. come up to bat. It's so funny. <laughs> I wrote most of them here, like Miwa says that she lost the mango. Momo um, on the broomstick has no baseball experience. Kamo is trying to practice cursive. Yuji likes or has says that a certain ramen makes him poop. Uh, Nobaro is waiting credit card approval. Mai probably stole Miwa's mango. So a nice plot development there. Fushiguro has a preference of chicken and certain kinds of dishes. Panda wants to punch a zebra someday. Maki can't tolerate protein powder. Toto thinks he won nationals with Yuji at middle school. Uh, and Inomaki just lists his breakfast preferences again none of this is re- like relevant to to knowing what they're gonna do in this show but i thought it was a clever way to just again inject some humor um after these heavily emotional action episodes of the tournament arc i think you could technically classify this as a filler episode like i know the whole mm-hmm. point is to settle the the tournament arc between kyoto and tokyo but it's honestly it's a filler episode but it is so good. good. Like, this is how you do filler. Like, it's just, if you're going to take the time to do something random and, like, a little bit branched off from the main story, do it like this. I don't know what it was about this episode. Just all these elements coming together made it an absolutely hilarious and fun watch. And I, I, could, I, I can't get enough of it. I definitely will go back and rewatch this episode. I think the highlight of it was, obviously, like, Toto, as he's up at bat, again, related to the nice peach, um, he goes into this elaborate um, story of how he and like, Yuji are going to be like the best of friends. <laughs> and then uh, Nobaro, who's pitching, just intentionally hits him in the head and you get that <laughs> nice slow-mo of the ball coming across his face. Nice speech. Yeah. <laughs> um, the last thing I want to mention, and this is a question for you and I guess for anyone else. For me? Yes. <laughs> Is no one going to talk about how Gakuganji put a hit on Yuji in the first place? Who's that? The principal? Yes. I feel like it's going to come up because Gojo hints at that later in the season. Um, I think in like the second to last or something, one of those episodes, he's talking to the Kikio character on the phone and he's kind of alluding to like, what do we do next? And then Cheapen says something like, you know, I have to get off the phone in case somebody hears me. And then he sends mm-hmm. that, that cash to may may i know i almost said my so may the chick with the the braid and the white hair 
Um, so I think Gojo is still investigating, and I think he's got at least I'm gonna say her name Utahime, right? Mm-hmm. He's got at least Utahime on his side, and possibly May as well. So I think they're leaving it be for now because they have to finish this tournament. But Gojo's not leaving it alone at all. So then, did the students really? Or I guess they did. Like they knew that the intent was to kill Yuji, right, during the tournament. Who, the students being who Tokyo knew that or the Kyoto. Like, I mean, yeah, because the, their principal told them to do it. Okay, but you're right. Like that is kind of weird that they're just all like happy-go-lucky, despite like 99% of the people. I'm pretty sure the only one who doesn't know that they were trying to kill Itadori is Itadori himself. Although I could be mm. wrong, but it just feels like everyone knows on some level, and no one's acknowledging it. But also, how do you acknowledge that? Like, oh, sorry, we tried to kill you, but yeah. our principal told us to kill you because apparently you're a threat, but you're not a threat. Well, that's what baseball does. It just brings everybody together. <laughs> they can just kill each other by pitching balls at their faces. Yeah, nice beach. Nice beach. In episode 22, The Origin of Blind Obedience, the main trio of Yu-Gi-Oh, Fushikushi, and Nobarajuku are tasked with investigating mysterious deaths linked to Fushikushi's alma mater and bedridden sister, leading them to a bridge racked with dark urban legends. Fushikushi instructs the other two to let him go alone for their safety, but Yu-Gi-Oh and Nobarajuku, stubborn as they are, resolve to stick by his side. Meanwhile, Gero and Discount Shigaraki feed one of their stolen cursed wombs to a kidnapped man and instructs the subsequent creature to go on an errand, which, as it turns out, is to attack the Jujutsu trio as they enter a cursed domain under the bridge housing a second Diglett slash Dugtrio cursed spirit. Did you know Guy Fieri makes a cameo at the beginning of the episode as the apartment resident killed by a curse? <laughs> Wait, is that literal or N- no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did notice that. I was like, oh, Guy Fieri. Yeah, with his flame flame shirt. Um. Also, I know you said um, Diglett and Dugtrio, but for us Animal Crossing, OG Animal Crossing fans, oh. I could also see that looking like R- Rossetti. Um, that's what I thought at first. I was like, oh, look, it's Rossetti. That's a weird form for a cursed spirit to take, but Jujutsu Kaisen, I guess. The The next three episodes, 20 through, 22 through 24, feel like real Jujutsu Kaisen episodes to me. Like, mm-hmm. this was so good. I, I just wrote like, yes, main trio finally. Yes, Fushiguro episode. Yes, Itadori is so endearing and Obara is so funny. I... I don't know. I, I thought this was a great lead up to the rest of, you know, the season finale. Um, it was interesting. It just was all so interesting. Like this unique curse tied to like this urban legend about a bridge and people having jumped off of it, which first of all is like crazy that middle schoolers are jumping off of a fucking bridge yeah. or bungee jumping or whatever. Um, but that like a curse is tied to that. Like that's cool. Like that's a really unique take on these curses that it's tied to, you know, local urban legend. And of course, like Fushiguro's backstory plays into this too. Um, so there's this, that whole element of it as well. Yeah, which again, tournament arc looking at you, like this is how you do backstory. You tie it in and make it meaningful to what's happening in that arc. Although I was kind of thinking, so th- they're students, right? Are these like their assignments? Because I figured like, you know, I, this would probably make for a boring show, but like they, they go to classes and learn about curses or whatever. But here, like right after the tournament arc, they're just thrown into the thick of it um, and are sent to, to dispense of this uh, cursed spirit. 
I don't know. It's a good question. We haven't seen them in like a formal class setting mm-hmm. at Jujutsu. Was it a Jujutsu Tech or Jujutsu Hogwarts? Jujutsu Hogwarts. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know. But honestly, that's fine. I, well, I think they do because in the ending, um, you get those shots of the classroom. And actually, didn't mm-hmm. Toto squir- like scratch his name into one of the the desks? Whatever. <laughs> I think someone on Reddit noticed that. Like, it's if you look carefully on one of the desks by the window, it says Toto, and I think that idol chick's name oh, that he's a, I, I could be wrong but i think it might be the the idol chick's name like he's scratched Takada, that i think and i think that insinuates that yeah they have classroom settings but that's fine i don't really want to see it I, i'd rather yeah. just continue to see them grow out in the field versus like sitting in the classroom we yeah. get enough of that with my hero yeah that's <laughs> true in episode 23 the origin of blind obedience part two Yujiro goes off to take care of the Slimer-looking curse while Nobara Juku is removed from the domain by a Chippendales dancer slash Jojo character. Fushikushi goes solo in his whack-a-cursed mole game until the real curse appears, which looks similar to the one he and Yujiro encountered in the first episode. The special grade curse pushes Fushikushi to his limit until he recalls his training from Mojo Gojo and goes fucking batshit crazy with his domain expansion, Chimera Shadow Garden. The curse is reduced to a Sukuna finger, and Fushikushi retrieves it while reflecting on his relationship with his stricken sister. Meanwhile, Yujiro and Nobarajuku run into each other and their respective curse opponents, and after Yujiro inadvertently looks at the Chippendales Jojo dancer's back, <laughs> he unleashes his sta- excuse me, his curse technique, Wing King, Death by Wasp, to put an end to the Jujutsu Jamboree. He literally is a Jojo character. Like yes. if you go to if you Think about part four and I guess mild, mild spoilers for anyone who hasn't watched Jojo part four. This is all like the same shit as Rohan and that dude who doesn't want him to see his back. (laughs) That's literally the same thing. I mean, maybe not literally the same thing, but it is very, very similar in nature. (laughs) Yeah. And even just the way he's drawn, it looks like, again, a part four. I don't even say like a part five character from Jojo. Yeah. (laughs) It's just very jarring. This episode overall was fucking hype. It was so fucking hype. This and the next episode are both fucking hype. Um, so I want to go back to my point earlier about how I started to have a, a turning point for my my favorite character of, Juj- of Jujutsu Kaisen. Um, again, I thought for a while that Itadori was my favorite, but this was the episode where I think it really solidified that Fushiguro is, is now my favorite. Um, also, again, he's a male tsundere, and you know I love my male tsundere. But I think this is a rare occasion where all of the main characters or all of the main trio are practically my favorite. Usually there's at least one that I don't like, but, or sorry, one that I don't love, but I still, you know, like generally. Um, For example, thinking about Attack on Titan, I love all three of those characters, but I would say I love Armin a little bit less. Like if I had to, Mm -hmm. had to pick one, I'd be like, Armin, like I could take him or leave him. He's definitely important. Don't get me wrong. But um, I love Mikasa and Eren so much more. But here it's like, I have a hard time saying that there's one that I really like less. Nobara is a fucking badass. Itadori is absolutely endearing. And Fushiguro is like skilled and very competent. And I think they're all great. Like, I think they're all so great. And that's why I'm so hype about this trio. Yeah, I would say for me with this trio, I like Yuji and Nobara. Um, I let's say Fushiguro a little bit less. (laughs) But again, with the backstory that you get in this episode, you kind of see that he's uh, with his sister being ill and probably caused by this curse, although I think it's still unknown how she was left bedridden. I 
think yeah i think they yeah. haven't really told us about that yeah but he it's clear here that he's trying to atone for i guess his own sins and trying to apologize for her to her for like being so naive by or calling her naive by always looking at the positives in life but i think we've seen time and again in previous episodes that he really is trying his best um in saving others um kind of in service to again that positive outlook that his sister had and can we just say that it was clear that mappa put their entire budget on um gojo's face in that flashback between oh, him and hell Fushigo. yeah <laughs> hell yeah oh my god like you can tell the stark difference so i think um in that flashback there's a moment where like gojo is looking at fushiguro like looking at each other and they zoom in on fushiguro's or sorry both of their eyes and like you can see the stark contrast yes. in like the detail between Gojo's eye and Fushiguro's eye. And I'm like, man, you are really just revving up those Gojo sins. Yeah, you're playing up that fan service. <laughs> um, but I love the piece of advice that Gojo gives Fushiguro here. Um, he compares him to Yujiro, or how he and Yujiro had reacted. I like during... how you still call him Yujiro. <laughs> <laughs> that just slipped. I usually keep those to my synopses, but. Um, uh, Gojo compares how Yuji and Fushiguro reacted to a certain play during the baseball game. Um, I think Fushiguro decides to do a sacrifice bunt, whereas uh, Yuji, yeah, I was going to say Yuji again, but <laughs> Yuji went on for a home run. And that's the difference there is that Yuji is willing to go like the extra mile in terms of like what he wants to do in saving others, whereas uh, I think Gojo says that Fushiguro can't bring out his best because of his his kind of subdued mindset, and he tells Fushiguro to be greedier, and that's I think what makes uh, Fushiguro just again go balls out against the curse in this episode, so that he finally succeeds and takes that Tsukuna finger from him. I completely agree. I loved this flashback because. Um, Again, like Gojo is the cool guy in the show. He's there for for all of the Sims, and understandably so. Like he is a really cool character. He also just seems OP sometimes. But we forget, even though he's OP and he's he's very I don't know aloof or goofy, that he actually is a very competent teacher and a very skilled um, Jujutsu sorcerer. And the fact that he uses the word greedier to Fushiguro was so unique. And I don't know if that's just the way they decided to translate for the subs or if that's, you know, literally what he says um, in Japanese, but that's just such a, a unique word, like an unexpected word that you would use to teach somebody to really push and give their all. Um, and that's just, I think that's just Gojo's way. I also noticed that in that flashback, when Gojo approaches him and like kind of crouches down next to him. You can see their shadows against the floor, and their shadows are at the exact same height. And I think that was intentional on Mappa's mm. part, or maybe the the manga had it in there as well. And I thought that was a cool visual to show, like Fushiguro has the potential to be on Gojo's level, you know, with with enough work and training. He just needs to mentally get there. And I I think part of that that um, teaching was uh, Gojo telling Fushiguro like something along the lines of like the difference is dying to win versus dying in order to win you know what i mean like mm -hmm. dying to win as in you really want to win versus feeling like you have to like die in order to save other people yeah um and fushiguro's mindset is certainly in the latter at the moment 
I do want to call out a couple more things about this episode. Um, Nobara is fucking amazing as always. I love that Fushiguro panics as she's getting pulled into the wall and also says that she gets sucked away too often. <laughs> but then she's completely chill and she just points at him and says like, hey, go focus on what you need to focus on. I'll be okay out here. Like, I got this. I'm good. She says like, whack-a-mole? Yeah, she says she like, does. go whack-a-mole. Yeah, go whack-a-mole. <laughs> so yeah, I just, again, I, I love, people call her cold and- I, I get that to a certain degree, but I don't think she's cold as in she's uncaring. I think she's just brave. Like she's blunt. Just, yeah, she's just blunt and she just is like unfazed by stuff. I think that's the best way to put it. She's just unfazed. Like she's in this world of jujutsu and curses and death and she's just like, Yeah, we're fine. It's it's all it's all good. Which is actually something that'll come up in the um the next episode. I'll talk a little bit more about her her personality. But these fight scenes were amazing. They were fluid and stylized as usual for Jujutsu Kaisen and for Mappa's flexing. Um, and we finally get to see Sukuna, albeit it was for like a hot yeah, second. Jesus Christ. I miss him. I fucking love Sukuna. I want more of him. So please, if and when there's a season two, just give us more Sukuna. I feel like he got forgotten in this this last half of the season. I think that's also why like I didn't really enjoy the season because I think the relationship between Yuji and Sukuna is is so significant in this show i i think i compared it to almost like the relationship between harry potter and voldemort but you don't see them really interact here until the next episode which is for like a very fleeting moment um so i think again with sukuna making this nice cameo appearance it's great but like you said, I, I want more of that. It's also weird, just to chime in real quick, it's also weird that like Sukuna would just sit idly by this long. I mean, we're talking months at this point. Like, wouldn't Sukuna like try to fuck around and, and try to mess shit up for Itadori? It's just weird mm-hmm. that he just sits and, and watches from his weird, you know, chest-like area with bones and dead people i don't know what the fuck it is okay i don't know where his throne's located but i think that kind of harkens back to something that gedo that evil samurai kind of person said previously about fushiguro is a landmine for sukuna like the only thing that sukuna really reacts to is something that fushiguro does so i think it's significant that we see sukuna appear again here right after fushiguro's victory um over that curse because i think it's supposed to symbolize something like i don't know there's there's a connection there but it's just funny that he is fushiguro's number one cheerleader at this point i know i was gonna say i saw on twitter that someone said that sukuna is the the president of the fushiguro fan club (laughs) and i'm like what the fuck he is something for fushiguro (laughs) yeah we can't forget though this jujutsu sanpo this jujutsu stroll this was my favorite of all of them so far. This was my absolute favorite. It was fucking hilarious and totally unexpected. Like when Itadori just came screaming over to Nobara and Gojo, flipping his shit, and then he says, Fushiguro's getting hit on. I lost it. I'm like, this is ridiculous in the best way. <laughs> and they all bolted. Yeah, because like too. that is very unusual for, for Fushiguro, but of course they're going to want to go and embarrass the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, I think Fushiguro was just giving the lady directions. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, what the fuck is happening? Like, this, I think, really showcased from, like, a, a hilarity standpoint, um, this showcased the trio's dynamic. Like, just how, how they interact with each other. And, and Fushiguro always just tries to be the, the level-headed one, but he can't when these other two are acting a fool around him. Yeah. And then you get fucking Gojo, who comes up. And says that he wants to go practice violin <laughs> with 
Ushiguro and he's like, Biolin! And does that like weird like finger twirl thing. And I don't even know. And then he gets all like sexual yeah. and is like touching his lip and like kind of being all cutesy towards Ushiguro. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? It's so good. This show, man. Like, what the <laughs> hell? What the hell are we watching? <laughs> And in the final episode, 24, Accomplices slash The Origin of Blind Obedience Part 3, Yujiro and Nobarajuku begin to square off against the two curse wombs when Chippendale's Jojo uses his decay curse technique, which will slowly rot away both protagonists' bodies. Nobarajuku utilizes her straw doll technique to conduct a sort of reverse voodoo on Chippendale's, while Yujiro nearly obliterates the Slimer curse all while the third brother of the Cursed Wombs feels their deaths from miles away. The main trio reunites as Sukuna sneakily consumes the finger within Fushikushi's grasp. The season finale wraps up with what is basically a Where Are They Now sequence, where Mojo Gojo wants to get crunk, Fushikushi and Nobarajuku agree to keep hush-hush about Yujiro inadvertently causing the bridge deaths when he teamed up with Sukuna, Yujiro internally battling Sukuna's thoughts, Jujutsu Hogwarts' big three planning to train harder, and Todo Todo and Mei Mei requesting the Tokyo class be promoted to grade one sorcerers. In a semi-post-credit scene, the main trio goes shopping until Mojo Gojo summons them on a top-secret mission. What's that, you might ask? Find out next season in Jujutsu Kaisen and the Chamber of Secrets. What a great season finale. Oh my god, it was so fucking good. Um, Especially after... Not really spoilers, but maybe kind of spoilers. Um, after seeing the Promised Neverland season finale the day before mm. this one, oh, that just made this Jujutsu Kaisen season finale so much better. Um, look forward to that review real soon on the Promised Neverland season two. But anyway, this was a solid end to a great first season, and you can tell they invested a shitload of budget into it because that animation was top tier especially for nobara oh my god yeah she really shined in this episode which was great because in all the other episodes we've seen in the second half she's always being taken out of the fight <laughs> yeah she's op and i think this is that was made clear in this episode like she black was it backflash black fa- black flash black flash okay so i did write it right um she black flashed like it was nothing when we saw in a previous episode it took itadori a lot of focus and determination just to do his first one granted he was able to do it just as many times as kento but she she black flashed and was like didn't even react to it it was like natural to her so maybe she's done it before i'm not sure um but if she hadn't done it before then good for her and she had major guts by sticking the nail in her own body and playing this like game of chicken but yeah, that was like a almost like a sacrifice move, but she, like she knew what she was doing. Hell yeah! Part of me was a little bit sad to see her her first key fight being shared with Itadori, um, especially when Fushiguro got an entire solo fight to showcase his skills in the previous episode. But as I watched it, I absolutely loved everything about this fight. Like they were so well coordinated without even having to say a word to each other. Um, unlike Itadori's fight with Toto, where they were talking the whole fucking time. Mm-hmm. You could just tell from this fight like how close they are as friends, how synced up they are, how confident they are 
in each other's fighting abilities. This was such a cool fight. And um, it actually makes me look forward to a full-on main trio fight where Fushiguro is also in the fray. Like, can you imagine how fucking cool it would be if all three of them coordinated together and had, like, a big epic fight? I like can't a, wait for it. Like an Avengers scene or something. Yeah. <laughs> but as much as they work pretty well in tandem together, um, I think the conversation that Yuji and Nobara have after the fight is where their ideologies are kind they kind of differ um because yuji asks her about what she thinks about having killed someone and nobara just kind of brushes it off as part of the the jujutsu sorcerer's job and that there are only so many people that they can save but i think what resonates so much with yuji in the scene is that when he uh when he eliminates esso esso is the the jojo guy um, oh, okay, I was like, that I don't was know his, his name. actual name. Um, he reacts to seeing his brother, the the Slimer curse guy, die before him, and that, it kind of resonates with Yuji. And he says, "Like tears were shed over the lives that I ended tonight." And I think this kind of harkens back to Yuji's promise to his grandfather, where his grandfather told him like to always help others, whereas like Nobara, as you said, like she's kind of blunt and um. I guess realistic where she kind of dismisses it again as part of the job. I agree, but slightly disagree. Um, I, this is again, one of the things that makes Itadori so fucking endearing is the fact that he is so upset about the fact that he killed someone, even though they've turned into a curse. And he says, sorry to at Jojo guy before. Yeah, that's a good point mm-hmm. too. And like, he gets kind of like choked up and everything. Um, but where I slightly disagree is that, I don't think Nabara is dismissive uh, or kind of brushes this off. Like on the surface, her response makes her seem cold hearted, which is why a lot of people feel that she's a bit cold as a character, mm. especially when you're comparing her directly to Itadori. But her her words hold a lot of meaning and it shows that she's more of a compassionate realist versus yeah. Itadori, who's a compassionate idealist. Because yeah. they both say like they their whole goal is to save people, but... Um, Nobara says, you know, you're going to have to kill people in order to save other people. Like, it's just going to have to happen. That's the realist in her. But she's saying that it's something that you do as a compassionate move to save many other people. Yeah, I guess in that sense, like, they did the best with what they had. So. Yeah, and I think that whole conversation in general really puts um, their perceptions and their, their ideologies and personalities into perspective. Um Again, like she she brings up that good point that regardless of the fact that those curses were once human, they had no choice but to get rid of them in this situation. Otherwise, they would have been killed and then other people would have been killed. She also says that they don't have the skills yet to restrain them. So mm-hmm. she's in, insinuating that, yes, in the future, they could be at a level where they don't have to kill these curses and hopefully can restrain them and, I don't know, find some way to undo the fact that they're curses and turn them human again. Um, just kind of backwards because you'd figure like they're they're novice students they wouldn't have the power to just kill curses right away <laughs> they should actually just try to like hold them back or yeah. run away but yeah well that's why at the very end of this episode we get uh i don't even remember who it was two people were recommending that they be up oh, to um, Toto first and, grade total in may yeah which yeah. that is self as weird is like why would you go to uh principal gakuganji because he's part of the kyoto school and they're all in the tokyo school um, well, I guess since, I don't know, maybe they have to go to him first before going to the Tokyo principal. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. But I found it so funny. So I'll really quick, because I know about that. Um, 
Poor Inumaki. He got burned bad because he's the only one they didn't recommend to be first grade. Oh, they didn't? I don't think so, right? Didn't they say Panda, Maki, um, and then the main trio? Um, I, oh, yeah. The... I thought they glossed over Inumaki. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm reading the wiki. Um, was it Toto and Mei both put in a recommendation for Yuji, Megumi, Fushiguro, Nobara, Maki, and Panda to be promoted to grade one sorcerers? Damn, Inumaki Poor got slided. I mean, granted, we we barely see anything of his skills. Like he probably got showcased the least out of everyone in the tournament arc. Um, so but he has a very powerful curse technique. True, but can he really hurt anyone, or he, does he just restrain people? Like he he almost seems like a support character at this point because we haven't mm. seen enough of him. Um, but I feel like there's got to be more to his story. Like he's gonna, I'm sure he'll pop in and play a bigger part later on. Yeah, it's so weird because if you remember at the beginning of the tournament arc, they hype Inomaki so much. Um, the Kyoto team does, at least. They always say, like, oh, we got to watch out for Inomaki or what he does. Yeah. And then we get to the end of this part two, and he like, he, he gets slighted as much as, spoilers, but Bakugo and Todoroki did in My Hero. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like, couldn't Inomaki theoretically just open his mouth and be like, kill yourself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> just look dead in the, the person's or the cursed eyes and be like, kill yourself. <laughs> yeah, he could, but... And then boom, done. <laughs> yeah, but I think maybe he's just too noble to do that. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be really fucked up, honestly. Yeah. Uh, so continuing on about with the conversations at the end of this episode, I also want to touch on the conversation between Nobara and, and Fushiguro because um, this one was very different than the one with Itadori. Fushiguro wasn't outright looking to Nobara for guidance in this moment. He's kind of like venting or just kind of reflecting on everything. But more so, again, like wanted to, sh to share his conflicting feelings with her. Um, so that's why the conversations played out very different. Like he, he tells her that, if I understand this correctly, the bridge curse was activated because Itadori ate the first Sukuna finger. But he, Fushiguro doesn't want Itadori to find out about that because he knows that Itadori will be devastated at this news, um, you know, that he's the root cause of all this, but also because Fushiguro recognizes that Itadori ate the finger in the first place to save him during the episode one fight. And he's grateful and therefore conflicted on whether Itadori should know the truth and then ultimately decides he shouldn't know. That's a, that's a fair recap of that conversation, right? Because I think we had to play this back two or three times to like follow the logic here. Yeah, there's like so many ties here that need to be like treaded lightly i guess yeah and then you know sukuna fucking tells him anyway <laughs> we get mm -hmm. him like blabbing i think he's got his like mouth on like his cheek or whatever and he's like it's all your fault i'm like well there's the sukuna we've been waiting to see um and itadori says like yeah i know but just be quiet about it mm -hmm. um but anyway th this whole conversation with nobara and fushiguro is great too because this i think shows the level of trust that fushiguro has in nobara now um, because he could have just told her nothing, right? He could have just not said anything and just kept this all to himself, which I'm pretty sure would be more in line with his character. But I think this shows that he's a lot's weighing on him, basically. And he's coming to Nobara as a trusted friend to um, confide in and kind of, you know, help figure out like how he needs to approach the situation. So I love these two conversations because um, it shows the growth between Nobara and each of her two close friends. And I just fucking love this trio. Like, I can't wait to see more of them. This was like the greatest season finale for me. <laughs> and to kind of touch a little bit more on Yuji and Sukuna's conversation, um, 
I just wanted to point out a quote that Sukuna says that people are going to die because you live, which I think is interesting because that, again, goes against Yuji's compassionate nature and what his grandfather told him to do about saving others. And I want to say, like, these are the kinds of scenes that I live for with this show because it shows that, you know, Yuji has to kind of grapple with being a sort of walking paradox because how can he save lives if he himself has the ultimate incarnation of evil within him? Yeah, that is a very good point. And now he has another finger. Yeah. He ate that other finger. Well, actually, he didn't even try to eat it, but Sukuna fucking popped up and ate it through his palm. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the finger count is right now, although I know that the League of Villains, I I don't know what their proper name (laughs) is. Um, They have the six that were at uh, Jujutsu Tech. But yeah, again, moving into, I know there hasn't been like an official announcement for season two, but moving into that, I do want to see more of their their interaction. Hell yeah. I also want to say, last thing about this episode, um, the reason I love the season finale so much is is because it was satisfying. Like, there's still cliffhangers because, you know, you've got Gojo's mission and then you've got, like, the five of them, sorry, Inumaka, being recommended for first grades. Um, but Inumaki. They, sorry, Inu, what did I say? Inumaka. Oh, Inumaki, sorry, Inumaki. Um, but they ended it very clean and neat, and I appreciate that. Like, there was a good balance of properly ending the season, but still leaving us with simple, not crazy, but simple cliffhangers and things to look forward to in the story. And after some of the crazy cliffhangers we've been getting, and I'm looking at you, Attack, Attack on, on Titan, Titan, and also Code Geass, because we've been watching that <laughs> recently, mm. um, it's just so nice to have, like, again, a... a Season finale that ends clean, brings things full circle, but gives you plenty to look forward to. So I love it. This was great. But although this season one, I don't, I mean, we don't know yet if this is a season one. I think it's a pretty safe bet they'll do a season two. Yeah. But yeah, although this season one has come to an end, I believe right before the release of the season finale, um, there was an announcement that they would be making a movie. Uh, based on the prequel for Jujutsu Kaisen, which is called Jujutsu Kaisen Zero. Uh, I think the manga was originally titled Tokyo Metropolitan Cursed Technical School. So that's the actual name of the school that they attend. Yeah, I'm going to stick with volume zero. (laughs) But to harken back to what I said about the first episode of the second half, they mention a character named Yuta Okotsu. um, And that's who this movie is going to focus on so again this will be a prequel to the events of this main Jujutsu Kaisen series um I don't think it's going to break the series canon um as I think it's totally going to be canon yeah which is awesome because if you think about like the My Hero second movie versus Mm -hmm. like Demon Slayer I'm like Demon Slayer's canon that My Hero second movie was not canon it pissed me off yeah um, so I think that a movie is probably the proper medium to tell this story. But yeah, I think it's just going to be interesting to see um, some of the characters we've seen in the show, um, how they act or how they came to be before all of these events surrounding Yuji happened. Also, the guy that this is about is the guy that they kept showing in the opening, right, for the second half of the season? Yes. He was, like, one of the only characters where we didn't know who he was. I know. I was like, who the fuck is that? Like, is that just some random dude that they're showing? I'm like, there's, there's got to be some reason he's on screen. And now now we know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now we know who he is. Yeah. Um, this movie will also be animated by MAPPA. 
and it is slated for a winter 2021 release. So it's wait, winter 2020? You mean 2022? Oh, is it? I, we just ended winter 2021. Wait, do you mean like win- 2021 as in like the end of this year or the beginning of next year? Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's right around the corner. So look forward to that. Yeah, we're definitely going to watch this and we will definitely have a review episode on it. It seems good from the manga readers perspective. Like they're they're hyping it up. They're saying great things about this volume zero. So I'm stoked. I can't wait to watch it. Hyping it up, huh? <laughs> And that leads us into our final thoughts for Jujutsu Kaisen Season 1. So how many Sukuna fingers out of 10, or maybe out of 20, would you give this season? I would give it a 9 out of 10. Um, It was solid for me. I, like I said a thousand times, I love Jujutsu Kaisen. I'm here for it. Um, I'm probably going to be a lifelong fan unless they completely derail it and ruin it for me somehow, which I highly doubt because MAPPA has been doing a fantastic job. And like with a lot of things that they're they're a part of, um, it's just it's going to be solid from here on out. Um, with that said, the tournament arc kind of turned me off a little bit. Um, and I still think it was premature to declare this anime of the year um, Crunchyroll. But you did it and it is what it is. And I think it, it certainly is one of the top anime of both 2020 and 2021. So yeah, I would give it a solid nine. Um, I fucking love the show. What about you? <laughs> I give it eight Sukuna fingers out of 10. That's actually better than I thought you were going to rate it. <laughs> so I'm happy with that. <laughs> okay, I guess 16 out of 20 if you want to be canon with the Sukuna fingers. Is it a great show? I'll admit it is. Is it hype? That part I'm not so sure of. I think as I mentioned in the beginning, this show just feels very by the books and it didn't really explore as much of Yuji and Sukuna's relationship that I had hoped for. Um, Cause I think, again, that's what's kind of bringing me back. Like what, or like, how is this dynamic going to affect what Yuji's plan for saving all these people from curses is? Whereas what is Sukuna's plan to reestablish himself or reestablish his supremacy as like the king of curses? Um, on that note, you know, the core, the curse lore still is very convoluted and not as easy to follow as the lore of other series. Either that or I can be as idiotic as Yuji can sometimes be. And like you said, the tournament arc was okay. Um, it felt, again, very generic or bland until uh, the cursed spirit um the deer whatever started coming into play which made things more interesting wait you keep calling it a deer it's like a plant right oh i don't know because it has like i I don't think those are antlers coming out of its eyes i think it's like a tree (laughs) (laughs) like branches or some shit (laughs) i guess it was but i just kept thinking antlers i was like Um, what's a deer like when you said that earlier i'm like wait deer (laughs) i don't remember a deer but no i think that's supposed to be like branches i don't know oh deer plant whatever (laughs) but again i think it's the eccentric characters in the show especially the trio um, and the comedy and especially those random juju sampo non sequiturs that's also what kind of keeps my interest because I think the show does a pretty good job of, again, balancing that humor with the, with its serious plot. Um, and yeah, the interaction between the trio inside of and outside of the curse conflicts um, is definitely, definitely significant. But yeah, who knows if I'll still enjoy the show um, going into season two. But 
Again, I want to clarify, it's a great show, but I don't think it's amazing. It's a great show, but it's just not a your kind of show, right? Yeah. I could easily say that about a lot of other anime, that they're they're great. They're just not my taste in anime. So that that's totally fair. And hey, at least at the end of the day, you can say you gave it a fair shot or are giving it a fair shot because I'm sure you're still going to watch the movie and stuff. Yeah, I give it a nice speech. <laughs> nice speech. <laughs> And that wraps up episode 31 of Strictly Anime. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly series and be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every other Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly series and on Twitter at Strictly series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on the anime that we review. You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Nice speech. Nice speech.